Now we're going to finish the book of Romans today. If you'd open your Bibles to Romans chapter 16, we're going to be looking at verses 20 to 27. It's fascinating what the Apostle Paul does in bringing this epic book to a conclusion. We have a series of greetings in the first 16 verses. Then he interjects this section of stay away from people that don't teach the truth. And then he brings up some other greetings here of people that were dedicated to truth. That's pretty much what he's doing here. Verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. And so do Lucius and Jason as Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me. And to the whole church greet you, Erastus, the city treasurer, greet you, and Cordus, the brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, and I want you to notice the prepositional phrase according to, because you're about to see three of them. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be glory forever. Amen. What an amazing conclusion to this book of Romans. May God add his blessing to the reading of it and the exposition of it later. Will you join with me please in prayer? Our Father, we bow before thee today to thank you for this remarkable, inspired book of Romans. What a humbling honor it has been to have gone through every verse of this gospel of grace. Thank you that you chose to unravel this grace mystery for us through the pen of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the grace provided through your precious Son and implemented through your precious Spirit. We certainly have seen as we've journeyed through this book that we don't deserve grace. We can't earn grace. We don't merit it. We thank you that you reach down to us as sinners and you've given us thy grace that saves us forever and sanctifies us forever. The fact that we actually stand forever in a relationship with you that has no condemnation is certainly nothing but amazing grace. Dear God, use us to apply the grace to our lives and communicate it with our lips. This world needs your saving grace. You offer it. You've provided this amazing package, so help us to be the kind of people who reflect it in the way we live and communicate it in the way we talk. Lord, this is a dark and depraved world. It's filled with immoral people. It's filled with lying and cheating and scamming, and we pray that you would intervene in this world, pour out your grace and save sinners. In fact, we would ask that you would save that final one that is to be saved and then rapture us soon. In Jesus' name, amen. In the 20th verse of the 16th chapter of the book of Romans, Paul says that God will soon crush Satan under your feet, our feet. He says that to the Romans. And part of the way that God was going to begin that crushing of Satan under their feet was by having them understand this gospel of the grace of God. 
See, this gospel of the grace of God in Romans is something that just gives Satan real problems. Satan can test a believer. He can tempt a believer. He can harass a believer. He can at times try to hurt a believer. But the real problem for Satan is he can't win when they have a handle on the grace of God. God's people become a real problem for Satan. God's people who know grace truth are a real threat to his dominance. Now, the book of Romans has been an amazing book. This letter that Paul wrote and that God inspired is like no other, and you'll see that today. So you do have to wonder, how are you going to end a letter like this? This is an amazing letter. How are you going to end a letter like this? Well, there are two points of communication that Paul basically develops to bring this to a conclusion. He gives a series of final greetings in verses 21 to 23, and then he gives a final praise and prayer to God. And what Paul does here is he brings Romans to a conclusion, and as he does so, he once again doubles down on the theme of grace. In fact, you can observe that in this final text, Paul stresses the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. He stresses it two times. You'd expect that when we've gone through this book of Romans that develops the grace of God. Now, the two final points of communication is he communicates, first of all, the final greetings to the Romans in verses 21 to 23, and he names some people here. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman, I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me, and to you, the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greet you, and Quartus, the brother. There are a series of greetings that Paul gives in the finale of this book of Romans. The first 16 verses basically were people who were in the church of Rome. And this second series of greetings in Romans 16, 21 to 23, are primarily people in Corinth who were with Paul when he's writing the book. And there are six greetings that he gives here as he wraps this book of Romans up. First of all, he gets the greeting from Timothy. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. Now, what's odd about reading that is that when Paul has Timothy by his side in multiple letters, he usually mentions him up front. He mentions him at the beginning of the letter. He'll usually say Paul and Timothy because Timothy, he states, he has nobody like him. And if you track his writings, his letters, he names Timothy up front in 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. He names him in 1 Timothy and, of course, 2 Timothy. So the question is, why does Paul now wait until the end of the book of Romans to mention Timothy here when so many times he puts him up front with himself? And the most obvious answer to that is Timothy arrived in Corinth after Paul had started writing the letter. In other words, Timothy was somewhere else when Paul started penning this letter, and he obviously showed up before it was concluded, and Paul wanted to include him. Why? Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. He had a Greek father, Jewish mother. He was handpicked by Paul to be his successor. In fact, Paul said about him in Philippians, I have nobody else that's like-minded like Timothy. And by naming Timothy first, he's establishing the importance of him to his grace theology and grace doctrine. He's establishing the importance of his companionship and also his ministry. 
Now, the Apostle Paul was very particular about who he allowed to get close to him, and Timothy was one of those that he did. When Paul signed off this letter to the Romans, he wanted them to know Timothy is right there with him. After Paul was gone, he would become the main herald and defender of the grace of God and the teaching of the Apostle Paul, so he made sure he included Timothy's name as a fellow worker with Paul. Now, the second greeting is the greeting from Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater. What we learn about these guys is they're my kinsmen. That's what he says in verse 21, my kinsmen. So we can conclude from that that they're all Jewish. And even though Paul's Gentile ministry is stressed in this book of Romans, he stresses it in this very chapter that the gospel had reached out to Gentiles and it's operating at full speed. There were still those that were with him who were Jewish believers. They embraced the grace of God. They obviously supported the apostle Paul and they were defending grace teaching in view of those that were challenging Paul. Now Lucius was from Cyrene. He had been a key leader in the church of Antioch who first commissioned Paul for ministry. He had known Paul for a lot of years. He had been by Paul's side for a long time. Many speculate that Lucius was a different spelling for Luke, but I don't agree with that. Luke is Lucas in Greek, and Lucius is Lucias in Greek. So I don't believe it's one and the same person. Lucius was from Cyrene, a key leader of that church of Antioch, and he had supported Paul ever since they commissioned him to go out and teach. Jason was one of the first converts of Thessalonica, Jason was the one who housed Paul and helped send him to Berea. In fact, flip over to Acts chapter 17, if you would, for a second. Acts chapter 17, go left in your Bible, just a few pages till you come to Acts 17, and we'll show you something that Jason did that really is quite impressive. In Acts chapter 17, let's start at verse 7 of Acts 17, and Jason, and this is the Jason he's talking about here, Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. They stirred up a crowd in the city authorities who heard these things, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. So Jason was one who housed Paul and helped send him to Berea, he welcomed him at great risk to himself, and he actually went and took it upon himself to pay some money to get Paul out of trouble. I mean, that's what he did. He actually invested his time and his effort and his own reputation and also his own resources to get Paul out of trouble. Now, Sosipater was from Berea. He was a real student of the Word of God. When Paul went to Berea, there were a series of people that were dead serious about the Scriptures, they examined the scriptures very carefully, so Sopater was one of them. His reputation was one of being a serious-minded student of Pauline doctrine. Now, it's interesting that these three men love God's word so much, and they love the teaching of the Apostle Paul so much, that even though they were Jewish, they followed him and they were with him. And when you think about it, there really can be no greater reason to relocate, then I'm relocating to a place where we can be taught the scriptures. That's what these guys did. When you think about what happened to them geographically, they literally said, you know what? Paul is unlocking the truth. We're going with him. And that's exactly what those three did. And they're remembered forever for their commitment to the grace of God and to the Lord. Now, the third greeting is the greeting of Tertius. We see in verse 22, I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. We never 
hear anything about this guy before this, and we never hear anything about this guy after this. What we learn about him is he obviously wrote Romans. Tertius was a secretary. You know, I grew up in my spiritual life reading good stuff. I mean, we had to read Chafer's Systematic Theology. We were required in school to go through that. The eight-volume set, we had to go through that. We had doctrine. I got under expositions of S. Lewis Johnson, actually got printed copies of his exposition that they made down there in Dallas, Texas, and I would get copies of them, and I would get CDs, and I'd listen to them, and then they'd printed notes, and I carefully crawled through those printed notes that came from there. And then, of course, in school, you had Mr. Miles, and he's giving us printed handout things that are critical to growth and doctrine. And what you never think about when you're going through all this stuff is, you know, somebody has to be the editor of all of that stuff. Somebody has to be secretary doing the work. I mean, yeah, the original guy penned it. The original guy wrote it, but there's somebody, for example, in some publisher company that's an editorial staff that has to go through the work and reproduce it. You have somebody down there in Believer's Chapel that has to go through all those notes and print them out there, and all of the books, and somebody at school had to take Mr. Miles' notes and print them all out. You don't see secretaries getting a lot of fanfare, but they do here. They do here. Because without this guy, you don't have the Book of Romans. Paul struggled with eyesight. We suspect that. History says that he really struggled with eyesight ever since he saw that bright light on the road to Damascus when God stopped him, that his eyesight never quite fully recovered from that. And so Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, three times I asked the Lord to take this thorn in the flesh from me, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. So if he did struggle with eyesight... If he wrote, it would have to be very large letters that he would write on papyrus paper, or perhaps, if it were like me, he just had poor penmanship. I mean, if you have a guy that can't see good, he's writing, he doesn't write good. We have a couple of people in this sanctuary, they have beautiful penmanship. I'm not one of them. So it could be that Paul dictated this letter to Tertius. It's also possible that Paul had written the letter and Tertius is the one who's making the copy to take to Rome. In any case, what we learn here is that Paul is permitting him to give his own greeting here. He's a total stranger to these people. They don't know who he is. He's a total stranger to these people in Rome. But the power was in what had been written. And apparently Paul and God wanted him mentioned here as the one who transcribed this letter. Now the truth of the matter is when we're dedicated to the written scriptures, it does mean a great deal to God and to others. And until this letter is done, Tertius is needed. So what is he known for? Secretarial skills. You probably don't think about that, but a lot of things go in that are involved in that kind of work, as we mentioned. That's what he's known for. He's known for sanctified secretarial skills that was able to either take a dictation from the Apostle Paul and write it down, or take something Paul had written down and make a copy of it to take it to Rome. In either case, this was a faithful secretarial man of God who was loyal to the Apostle Paul. Now the Fourth greeting is the greeting from Gaius. Gaius hosts to me and to the whole church. Paul was actually staying in the home of Gaius. 
when he wrote this book of Romans. Gaius was a man who lived in Corinth. The text makes it clear that he had a church that met in his home. He must have been one of what we could call in Jesus' parable, he must have been one of the ten talent guys. You know, Jesus gave ten talents to one and five to another and one to another. He must have been one of the ten talents guys because obviously God had given him a lot. He was a wealthy man, very large home. He obviously had a nice home that was capable of housing Paul and some of the entourage because wherever Paul went, he usually had some people with him. And this home was large enough to host an entire church in the home. You have people from all walks of life here being impacted by Paul's ministry and his grace teaching. But you see, once you are in Christ, you're part of the family. So to Gaius, even though he obviously is a very wealthy type of guy, it didn't matter to him whether the people with him were rich or poor, what they were like, as long as they were in Christ. He was the host, and he was a good host to Paul and to the whole church. Now the fifth greeting is the greeting from Erastus. This is interesting what he says about him. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. Now, Erastus was the city treasurer of Corinth. It's rare that Paul mentions something like this. I mean, Paul's not a guy who usually stresses limelight stuff where he brings out stuff like this. This is kind of rare here. And obviously, Erastus was a public official. He was a high-ranking type of guy. He was in charge of the city finances of the city of Corinth. And what many believe, the reason why Paul brings that out, is he's showing that there are those who do get themselves into high positions of power who can love the Lord, love grace, love the word of God, be blessed of God, and use of God. It's rare. It's rare. It's very rare for a high-ranking public official to love Jesus Christ, love the grace of God, and love the word of God. Erastus was one of them. So what you have here is you have a heathen city of Corinth, and it's a heathen city. And you have a city treasurer who loves Jesus Christ. You have a city treasurer who is an elected official who loves the word of God and is dead serious about it. And that gives us some great insight as to how life can work because you can work for heathen people. You can work for a heathen owner. You can work for a heathen company and still keep the same focus as Erastus had. One can actually be an elected government official like he was and yet still be highly committed to Jesus Christ and the written word of God, Erastus proves that. And Paul, in his last letter to Timothy, says that Erastus would have gone with Paul, but he remained at Corinth. There's actually been found on one of the street stones of the ruins of Corinth a stone that says, Erastus laid this pavement at his own expense. So apparently he was a very, very wealthy man, but he loved the Lord he loved the word of God. It's rare. I mean, this is a rare deal. When you find some famous politician or someone with worldly fame or a lot of worldly wealth, it is very rare to find a person like that who's dedicated to God and his word. Erastus was one of those guys, and Paul said, I want him mentioned in this book of Romans. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. Now, the sixth greeting is the greeting from Quartus. In verse 23, Quartus, the brother. 
That's all we know about him. He's the brother. I don't know whether or not he's the brother of Erastus or if he's just referring to the fact he's a brother in Christ, perhaps both. We certainly know he's a brother in Christ or he wouldn't be named in this book. And we don't learn anything about him other than he's a brother. He has no special status. Paul doesn't bring out anything unique about him other than he's in Corinth and he's naming him to these people of Rome. Now, it's amazing that here's this inspired book like Romans that's unlocking the doctrine of the grace of God and he's permitting these people from Corinth to send their greetings to the believers of Rome. Now why would he be doing that with this hodgepodge list of people? Because ladies and gentlemen, this is indicative of what God's grace does. God's grace is in the business of saving and transforming all kinds of people. He's in the business of saving and transforming all kinds of people from all walks of life. All different kinds of sins, all different backgrounds. That's what he's in the business of doing. And when you read this list of names here that are in this book of Romans, you have to come to the conclusion, man, God's grace sure has power and punch to it. And every person on this list is obviously important to God. So if you're one who loves the Lord and you love grace and you love the word of God, you're very important when it comes to God because you have the same bent as these people who give their greetings. Which brings us to the second point of communication, his final praise and prayer to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who's able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures and the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be glory forever. Amen. The final words of Paul begin with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So he starts off by talking about grace and grace is with you from, from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's from the Lord. He's God. He's Jesus. He's the Savior. He's Christ who is the Messiah. That's who grace is comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, and that identifies him as God, Savior, Messiah, ultimately King. Now, I want us to observe, and I pointed it out in the scripture reading this morning, that three times as he's wrapping this up, he uses that prepositional phrase, according to. According to. And the reason why I want you to spot that is because the basic meaning of that preposition, kata, is down upon. And I want you to understand what Paul's saying here, because what Paul is stressing here by using this preposition three times is that here's God in his high, holy, heavenly, majestic, glorious position who reached down to down and out sinful humanity with this glorious gospel that is able to save any sinner from any sin at any time and establish him forever. God is coming down with this grace package. We're not the ones who develop this from our works up. He's coming down with this grace package. And when he says that God did this to establish us, it's a word that means he sent this grace package down 
as something that can straighten us and strengthen us. In fact, this was used in secular Greek of an older man who could barely stand and someone would give him a cane so he could stand on his own. Now here's what Paul wants to drive home here. He wants to drive home the fact that God looked down from heaven and he saw us all as a bunch of crippled sinful people. We could not stand on our own before him. We were not straight before him. Why? We've all been mangled by sin. God looks down and he sees that. So in amazing grace, he provides the Lord Jesus Christ so that we would have a righteousness necessary to have a relationship with him. And through his shed blood and stripes, we may be completely healed in our relationship with God. And to him be glory and honor forever for that because we can stand tall and straight in his sight. Rutherford B. Hayes was the president of the United States from 1877 to 1881. He was from Ohio, and he was the governor of Ohio before he was the president. One day, when he was governor of Ohio, his wife Lucy, who was a temperance advocate, was riding in her carriage in Cincinnati. And she saw a crowd that was kind of jeering and making fun of a drunk woman. The woman could hardly stand, was kind of staggering around, and she saw this crowd that was making fun of her. So she took her own carriage, she stopped her carriage, the driver stopped the carriage, she got out, she took that woman into her own carriage, and she drove off with her. Out of pure grace... She reached out to a woman that people were laughing at. That's what God does in offering grace. He reaches down from heaven to a bunch of foolish sinners that, quite frankly, are sad. And every one of us, in one way or another, has been crippled and hit by sin. And when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, just what this text says, he's able to establish us. He establishes by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are three key revealed facts that are brought out about this, and I want you to see them, and I don't want you to miss them. And this first one I sure don't want you to miss. This is established by a specific gospel. Understand that. You will be established by a specific gospel. He says in verse 25, Now to him who's able to establish you according to my gospel. Understand that pronoun, my that is so critical. This will help you in your theology for the rest of your life. The gospel message that will establish us in a relationship with God is a gospel that is taught by Paul. Get it? It's a gospel taught by Paul. It's not taught by Matthew. It's not taught by Mark. It's not taught by Luke. It's not even fully taught by John. It's not taught by James, and it's not fully developed by Peter. Understand what's being said here. The gospel of grace is fully taught and developed by the Apostle Paul. He calls it my gospel. Now understand what Paul's saying here. This is the gospel that will save you. This is the gospel that will straighten you up. This is the gospel that will strengthen you. It's Paul's gospel. It's a grace gospel. And you cannot form your conclusions about the gospel trying to pick a few verses out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or any other book. You have to go to Paul. You have to go through Romans. 
God is the one who gave Paul the responsibility to write the gospel that shows up in Romans. And Paul's Romans is the only fully developed gospel of God that's found in the Bible. Now, the other books will reinforce it. The other books will substantiate the gospel. The next one we're going to, we'll introduce to you, Lord willing, next Sunday, is the book of Colossians. And you'll certainly see the book of Colossians is going to reinforce what's taught in Romans. But we've gone through Romans very carefully because this is the gospel that saves people and sanctifies people. And Paul developed the fact that all are sinners. We're all guilty. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. He developed the fact that justification is by faith alone apart from any works. He said in Romans 4 or 5, But to the one who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, but doesn't do any works at all, his faith is counted as righteousness. He said in Romans 4.28 that the righteousness of God in Christ is apart from any Old Testament law. You cannot possibly understand the gospel of the grace of God if you don't come to terms with Paul. There's a program out there on the air. It's called Grace to You. It should be called Works from You because that's what they go. Grace comes from Paul. Understand that. You don't get it by a few verses of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. You get it from Paul's gospel. In fact, let me point out something here. Paul says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. He mentions that at the end of every book he writes. Every book he writes. Check it out for yourself. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Philemon, and even if Hebrews is his, that's the way the book of Hebrews ends too. He stresses grace. It's my gospel, Paul said. He's the one given the responsibility. That's the gospel that will save you and strengthen you. Secondly, one will be established by specific preaching of that gospel. He says, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, the kerugma, that's what the Greek word is, preaching, public proclamation. This is a key to stabilizing people. This is a key to saving souls. It demands preaching Preaching that's centered on the work of Jesus Christ. Not preaching that's centered on our works. Not preaching that's centered on Old Testament law. It's the public preaching and proclamation of Jesus Christ. This idea of preaching is being replaced today by non-traditional methods that some churches actually believe is a better way to go. It's more contemporary. So they remove the pulpit and they promote entertainment and sermonettes in which a guy walks around with a lapel mic, if he has a mic, wearing loose clothing and just sharing from his heart. And the idea is this kind of service will really make people feel good. The idea that you go straight through a book of a Bible like Romans. No, you don't want to do that. That's pretty heavy doctrine, pretty heavy theology. And the books of the Old Testament. You don't go through any one of those because that's really way out there. So we just shared stuff that's surface-level babble. Paul says, you don't get strong from that. You don't get stable from that. You grow by hearing preaching that is preaching and centered on Jesus Christ as being the only way of having a relationship with God. That specific preaching is what stabilizes people. Not sharing, not talking, not singing, careful, accurate preaching. Thirdly, 
He said it's established by understanding scriptures. Do you see that? He says also, but now is manifested by the scriptures. The Bible's not a simple book to understand. And if you think it is, then you haven't read it much. To understand the deep mysteries of God that have come from the mind of God does require a tremendous amount of study. We're living in the grace age, and in this age, God has given us all 66 books of the Bible that reveal the depths of the program of God, like tonight. Tonight. When we go through this text in Zephaniah, it deals with the Gaza Strip and Israel. I mean, you can't get any more timely than that, and yet there's real prophetic truth to that. Now, that's not easy to unravel. To take the scriptures and understand these Old Testament books and prophets and then be able to dissect it so that people can accurately understand it and you unravel the truth that is mysterious is a job that is serious business. And I want you to notice carefully in verse 25 that preaching the word about Jesus Christ is called a revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. So what this means is God decided to uncover and reveal the grace gospel through Paul. I mean, Paul is saying this. He's saying, look, you need to understand something. The theology of the grace of God to save a sinner through faith alone in Jesus Christ was a mystery until God called me to reveal this in my gospel. But then he says in verse 25, but now, but now. The eternal God has made this message known to the world, and that's what this world needs to hear. That's what this world needs to learn. It's an understanding of this great grace gospel that will stabilize people in the faith. It's understanding of these things that will cause them to grow and bring people to maturity. And there are four observations we make here about being established in the faith. First of all, it comes through the scriptures. It's what Paul says. It's coming through the scriptures. That's why Paul, just before he died, he said to Timothy, who he included in the list here, I charge you, Timothy, you preach the word. You study to rightly divide the word. You preach the word. Why? Because establishing people in the faith comes by the scriptures. Secondly, being established in the faith comes by God's commandment. This is a critical point. Had not God, notice verse 26, according to the commandment of the eternal God, had not the eternal God commanded that this grace gospel be revealed, the whole world would be lost. The whole world would be lost. In this book of Romans, you clearly learn in chapter 5 that the Old Testament commandments, those Old Testament laws, condemn every one of us. Now, Paul reveals that. The Old Testament law condemns every one of us. It'll shut every one of our mouths. We're all sinners before God. That's what the Old Testament law will do. Prior to God revealing that, people all over thought the Old Testament law is great. Let's put up the commandments because we're all good at it. And God said, no, no, you've missed the whole point here. The point of this is you can't measure up to my standards. That Old Testament law shows you can't measure up to my standards. That's why I've unraveled this truth for you that you can only be made right in my sight through faith in Jesus Christ. The third observation is being established in the faith is open to all nations. 
And he brings that out in this great epistle. He says in verse 26, being made known to all the nations, all the nations of the world, all nationalities of people can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, doesn't matter what your color is, what your age is, what your gender is, any person now has access to God's amazing grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he drives that point home. It only comes if you obey the faith system, not law. It comes by the obedience of faith in Jesus Christ. And understand this obedient faith is faith that believes totally and only in Jesus Christ to save you. You don't trust in you. You don't trust in religion. You don't trust in works. You don't trust in denomination. You trust totally and only in Jesus Christ to save you. That's obedient faith. That's what Romans developed. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that great doctrine will revolutionize your life. It'll stabilize you. It'll lead you to a life that truly brings glory to God. And I like the fact that he brings out that this grace, in verse 24, is open to all. It's open to all. So God gives all people an invitation. There's only one wise God there's only one way to have a relationship with this wise God, that is through Jesus Christ. And the glory of God and the glory of Jesus Christ is forever and ever. Amen. That's how he ends it. We've had the privilege of taking you through, and we've taken our time, every verse in this book of Romans. We've had the privilege of unfolding the grace of God. And may that grace of God forever be embedded in your mind and heart. And may God's grace strengthen you and establish you forever. May we pray. If you've never believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to understand this. He is the only way to be saved from your sins. Not a way. He is the only way to be saved from your sins. That's what Paul's developed in Romans. So if you've never invited him into your life to save you from your sins, do it right where you sit. Invite Christ to come into your life to save you. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you for this amazing book of Romans. We pray that we would be strengthened and stabilize these doctrines that are developed in this incredible book that you've revealed I pray that they would just be so embedded in our minds and hearts, we'd be solid and stable until the day we see our Savior face to face. In his name we pray, amen.